if you will, turn in your Bibles to the second chapter, Gospel of Matthew, as we continue our study through the Word. Now last time we looked at chapter 1, the beginning of this gospel, you'll remember that Matthew was the first one to write a gospel, and, and remember that he was Jewish writing to the Jewish people to convince them, to show them the truth that Jesus is the Messiah. And being such, we saw how he opened up the gospel. We see the genealogy of Jesus Christ. You remember that Matthew is going to show them from the scriptures the prophecies that Jesus fulfilled in his life. He is going to constantly be showing the portrait of Christ in the Old Testament that Jesus came and filled. Now, to a Jew, the very first question they're going to ask is, is he a son of David? That was one of the prophecies. And, and so before the question is even asked, Matthew just starts right out with that in genealogy. And so we see the legal genealogy of Jesus through Joseph, who was his legal father, stepfather, we know. But also we see the genealogy of his bloodline through David, through Mary. And that genealogy we find in Luke's gospel. So after he establishes the genealogy, genealogy, gets that issue dealt to the side. The birth of Jesus, uh, Matthew gives to us. Now, once again, Matthew's perspective was through Joseph. We see that Joseph uh, now enters the narrative when Mary was found with a child. Now, Luke's gospel gives us the annunciation, gives us the visit to uh, Elizabeth and, and Mary's perspective on all that took place in the virgin birth. But from Matthew's perspective, from Joseph's perspective, uh, he's engaged to his betrothed wife and uh, she comes and tells him now when she is showing, when she was found with child. So so after she returns from Elizabeth, from Joseph's perspective, is now suddenly when he is finding out that she's three months along, she's with child, and, and the child is God's. And, and you remember he struggles with understanding that and believing that until we see the angel comes and ministers to him tells him in a dream that he's not to be concerned. He is not to be afraid. She is telling the truth. And his name is to be in Jesus. And, and so Joseph immediately breaks the custom now of the betrothal period, takes her into his home to be his wife. And, and so we see now the situation by which God is going to continue to be fulfilling the prophecies in the portrait that he has put of Christ into the Old Testament. We are going to see the birth narrative now, but once again from Matthew's perspective. And, and so he is going to leave out the census of Augustus and how it is that Mary and Joseph move to or to travel to Bethlehem in order to register the, the census and, and all of that. And we are going to see that 
that, that in verse 1 of this second chapter, that he is just going to move right into the, uh, the birth. Uh, he says, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. And so we see that uh, Matthew skips uh, right over the, uh, the details of Jesus' uh, birth. And, and so he begins now just simply with uh, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Now, we see that Bethlehem is a, is a village, is a city that uh, the town really that sits on top of this ridge. It is about five miles away from Jerusalem. It's in Judea, in the territory of Judea. And he says that Jesus was born in the days of Herod the king. Now, once again, Herod, the backdrop on King Herod and, and who he was. King Herod rises to the position of king over the nation by appointment of Rome. He was appointed when he was 25 years old to that position. The Romans did not quite have solid control of that time uh, over the region and the territory. The Parthenians were uh, warring against and battling. And so when he takes over that territory, he, he enters into a very turbulent time as this young king. He is battling with the Parthenians, and the Parthenians actually drive him uh, out uh, of uh, Israel. And he returns back to Rome and spends some time in Rome. He comes back. Uh, now uh, re-engages in battle and after a period of about two years uh, he finally now uh, rises uh, in Rome conquers the Parthenians and drives them out and his position is uh, secure. He was an individual who was uh, tremendously insecure. He was Jewish uh, only by name. He was a descendant not uh, of uh, Jacob. You remember that the patriarchs was Abraham, Isaac, and then Jacob. But remember that Isaac had Jacob and Esau. And remember the birthrights and the promise between the two of them and the deception of Jacob and all of that. Jacob ends up having the 12 tribes. They become the 12 tribes of Israel. And Esau now uh, was his brother we see that Herod is a descendant of Esau. So he is from Abraham and Isaac, but he is not through Jacob and through now the 12 tribes. You'll remember that the promise was that only from the tribe of Judah could a king now rule over the nation of Israel. And so we see that he is not even of the 12 tribes. And so he always was insecure. The people, they rejected him as their king. He was a political appointment. But he was constantly trying to curry the favor of the people, trying to get them to accept him. And so massive building projects, beautifications, he did an awful lot of wonderful things for the nation of uh, Israel, but uh, we see that they never ever 
fully accepted him. Because of that, he was always worried about being assassinated. He was always worried about being overthrown. And, and so we see that Herod had a tremendous track record of heinous behavior and unbelievable in crimes. He murdered his wives. He murdered his children. Uh, at one time, Augustus, the, uh, the Caesar, uh, said that it is safer to be a Herod's pig than it is to be one of his sons. And, uh, and so uh, we see that this is this, this individual, Herod, that uh, reigned uh, there in, in Jerusalem. And so Jesus is born... Uh, and this uh, uncertainty time period where Herod is in authority. We see that Matthew recounts for us that there were wise men from the east uh, who came to Jerusalem. The wise men known as the, uh, the Magi. They came from the east. Who were they and how many of them uh, were there? Well, of course, you can look at your manger set and you know there's three. And and that was certainly a, a, a tradition that came uh, in the Middle Ages, and, and they even gave them names, Caspar, Balthazar, and, and Melchior, and, and they were thought to represent the three sons of Noah. We don't really know a whole lot uh, about them, but uh, what we do know and what we do believe uh, was that they were from the east, so from the Medo-Persian Babylonian area is where they traveled uh, from. They were skilled in astronomy and astrology. They were highly educated and uh, wealthy. Uh, many believe that they were part of the uh, ruling priestly and caste and the system that they had, that they were the, uh, the consultants, uh, if you were. Now, you'll remember that they come now seeking after Jesus. They have been studying the stars and the signs in the sky, and they believe that the true king, the promised king, uh, has been born. And so they, they come. Where did they get this belief from? Well, it is interesting because if you will remember that Daniel the prophet was taken into captivity by the Babylonians. And, and you remember that Nebuchadnezzar was the king. And remember that Nebuchadnezzar has a dream that bothers him. And he goes to his magi, he goes to the, uh, the, the leaders, the wise men that he had around him. And he told them, I want you to give me the interpretation of the dream. And you remember they say, tell us the dream. And Nebuchadnezzar says, no, you tell me the dream and its interpretation. And of course, they could not tell him the dream or the interpretation. And there was one, Daniel, who said that my God can give him uh, that uh, information. And so Daniel gives him not only the dream, but also the interpretation of the dream. Nebuchadnezzar is going to kill all of the wise men that could not uh, answer him what his dream was or the interpretation. And Daniel intercedes uh, on behalf of the, uh, the wise men. And 
Nebuchadnezzar ends up taking Daniel and puts him over all of the wise men now. Well, Daniel, you remember that he writes the prophecies that God gives to him. He exposes them to the God of the nation of Israel. He exposes them now to the promised Messiah, the deliverer, the savior of the world. And so all of this information through Daniel now ends up into the, the, the narrative of the Magi. So now we see... Hundreds of years uh, later, these uh, magi are studying the stars and the signs and the prophecies of the, the scriptures. And, and there is a, a revelation that the one that Daniel had talked about has been born. And so they travel, they make a long journey and, and they bring with them gifts and, and they show up telling Herod that they are looking for the true king. Now, to a king who is not accepted, who is insecure, who is killing his own sons because he is afraid of being removed from his position, we see that this information now is unsettling to King Herod. We see in verse 3 it says that when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And so uh, Herod is troubled. He gathers uh, the chief priests. Now, the chief priest would include the high priest. Uh, there was a single high priest who had that office for uh, life. He would have gathered also the, uh, the, the temple guard. There was the appointment of the by the chief priest to, to, the, uh, to the head over the, uh, the, the guard. And so they would have, the captain of the temple would have their, uh, their ability to arrest and imprison. And so they would have a, a detachment of temple police. And uh, also there would be the leaders of the priests of the different courses. They were divided into their courses. And so the course leaders and these chief these were the chief priests priests. And so he turns to them and he asks, so where is the, uh, where is this king going to be born that he is referencing? And, and they go right to the scriptures and, and verse five, so they said to him in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, but you Bethlehem in the land of Judah are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And so we see that this was a prophecy that was uh, written 700 years earlier by Micah the prophet, detailing of all the places in the world and the nation of Israel where the Messiah was going to be born pinpointed uh, the exact place 700 years uh, in advance. 
And these are the pieces now that Matthew is beginning to show, this portrait of, uh, of Christ, the way in which God embedded hundreds and thousands of years a, a ahead of time, this emerging picture of all of the prophecies that, that the Messiah, and truly, if you had eyes to see and would search the scriptures, that there would be absolutely no doubt who the Messiah is. So he begins by establishing the genealogy, and then in the birth narrative, the most important thing to Matthew of everything is that it fulfilled the prophecy that the Messiah, that Jesus, uh, is born in Bethlehem. And so so here we see that, uh, that in verse 7 it says, Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. He, he calls now the, uh, the wise men and determines uh, from them, when did you first see this star? Tell me your journey. Tell me your story. I'm very interested in all of this. He is seeking to determine the age uh, of this uh, young king. And so, believing that the birth would have been tied to the first appearance uh, of that star, uh, he calculates uh, now the, uh, the age of this uh, young uh, king that they are uh, looking for. And, and so, he tells them that you're going to find him in Bethlehem. He, he sends them on the way and gives them the information. But then notice the addition. But when you have found him, come back and let me know where he is, that, that I might also be able to worship him as well. We see that that was anything but the true intent in Herod's heart. We see the deception, the blatant deception that, uh, that he now uh, encounters. And, and so uh, the ruse fooled the uh, wise men. They depart now knowing that uh, they are headed to Bethlehem to seek to find him and with the intention of returning afterwards and letting the king know what they have discovered. It says, when they heard the king, verse 9, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. This star is interesting. It had appeared to them suddenly. And then they followed this star. So in some way, shape, or form, this star was moving. When they got near now to Israel, we see that the star disappears. And, and so now they have to go and, and seek for direction, believing that the, the king will know where this new king has been born. And, and the king discovers it's in Bethlehem and sends him. So they're heading now to Bethlehem. Bethlehem is about 
about five miles away. So not very far, a couple hours of journeying and they shouldn't be there. And, uh, but they don't know exactly where in Bethlehem they are going to uh, find this child. But we see that the star reappears again. And, and then the star guides uh, them uh, right uh, to the very house uh, uh, where Jesus is uh, staying. And so they rejoice with exceeding great joy as, uh, as God is leading them once again to help discover where baby Jesus uh, is. This was no ordinary star. Stars don't appear and disappear and move and, uh, and cast the, uh, the light on the very house where, uh, where they are to go. I, I believe this is, this is much closer to Google Maps uh, than it is uh, you know, a star. They uh, had the directions and there is the light illuminates the house and, uh, and there they go. But hey, here's, here's what we do know. They rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. They were coming to give honor to the king. And now God was leading them and helping them to do it. It says in verse 11, and when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshiped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him of gold, frankincense, and, uh, and myrrh. We see that they now came into the house. I want you to notice that, that that wasn't a manger now, uh, that it is a, a house. Jesus was born in the manger, but you'll remember that they had come to Bethlehem in order to register for the tax purposes, Cornelius' uh, requirement. And, but then they decided to, not to immediately go back to Nazareth. Nazareth was a, a difficult place for them, no doubt. You'll remember that there was uh, all of the, the scuttlebutt that had ensued of, of them now. Joseph taking Mary into her house. Joseph, Mary being with child during the betrothal period. And, and all of the gossip that was going on. Mary and Joseph know that they have walked in the uprightness of their integrity. But the rest of the community doesn't know that. And so here they have left and departed and, and had the child. So they stay there in Bethlehem for a period of time. They are now in a house. And we see that the Magi come and show up at their house. They are allowed entrance into the home. And they come and they see baby Jesus. And there is the overwhelming presence of the Holy Spirit there. They are now in the presence of God incarnate. And they just simply fall onto their face before the Lord Jesus. And they worship him. Notice that they came. That, that the Bible says that when you seek me, you will find me. They came searching for Christ, searching for Jesus. And, and it was a long and, and hard journey. And, 
And yet God helped him every step of the way. When you are seeking and searching after God, God will help you to find him in deeper and deeper revelations. No matter how close you are to the Lord today, there is a deeper yet still that every single one of us can press in it. And God will continue to help you. Listen, discover him. He wants you to discover him. And he will reveal himself if you're searching. If you hunger for God, if you want to know more about God, if you want a deeper relationship with him, he will help you. If you will search, he will reward that search. And God is looking for people who are seeking to worship him in spirit and truth and to be able to help you draw near. It is the, the, the most important of all activity that we can ever engage in is the drawing near to God, knowing that God is also going to draw near to us. He leads these magi right to the very presence of Jesus and, and they waste no time whatsoever of just worshiping God. What is worship? Worship is giving honor where honor is due. We are called to worship God, to honor Him. We see that Jesus humbled Himself when, when He was born in a manger, but, but we take the humble Lord and we exalt Him with our worship. We, we see that we place Him high above everything else, the place that, that he deserves. Uh, we do that in our hearts and in our lives. Uh, one day, the day is going to come when every knee is going to bow and every single tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And he will be exalted on high over all of this earth. But for now, he is exalted on high in the hearts of of those uh, who believe, of those who have received the truth of the revelation of God. These magi now, they are worshiping. And it says that they then opened their treasure. You see, love is always in action. It's always seeking an, uh, an opportunity to express itself. And so here they took what was treasured in their hearts and, and now they open up out of the abundance and bring gifts. It tells us that the, the gifts are gold and frankincense and, and myrrh. Gold has historically been the metal that has been valued over every other metal that there is. And so the very finest, the wealth that they had accumulated, they, they gave frankincense was a uh, was an incense it was a incense that was rare and connected to deity and to uh, offering uh, up uh, aroma to the lord myrrh was also a, a perfume and incense but it was used more practically it was expensive but not as expensive as uh, and rare as uh, frankincense myrrh they would take myrrh and mix it with other spices to prepare bodies for burial and so we see gold, frankincense, and, and myrrh. We see that some see in that the typologies of it. They see in, in gold, they see the, the royalty of God and the frankincense, his deity, and in the myrrh, they see his humanity. But we see that the wise men bring gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and they present 
Now, these gifts uh, to uh, Mary and Joseph, to the, uh, to the Lord Jesus uh, and Christ. And, and so, verse 12, then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. <coughs> Here we see that the wise men are, are warned that Herod is not above reproach and they are not to trust him and, and that they are to depart and to leave a different way. That took courage. It took courage to disobey the king. It put themselves at risk for them to be in Israel and under the king's command to return and, and they depart. But they obeyed God rather than the king. And, and once again, we see a principle in our own lives that we also are to obey God over man and to always uh, honor, even if that puts us into a, a, a difficulty with our culture or with the people that are around us. But they had the courage to obey God and to depart and to go the long way, to inconvenience themselves and, and all. But honoring God was the most important thing to these magi. They had come to honor God. They had come to worship the Lord, and so they depart for their own country another way. It says, Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring you word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. We see this is the second time that God now ministers to Joseph through the dream. You remember that he was concerned about uh, Mary and taking Mary. The angel comes and tells him, don't be concerned. And, and so we saw the way in which he immediately takes her into his house. Now uh, he is basking in the, uh, the incredible experience of having these magi come into his home and, uh, and now worship the Lord Jesus and and deposit these gifts, but he's not allowed much time to process any of that because the angel comes and visits him in the night and lets him know that he is to arise and flee. The word flee means immediately. When you flee, it means that you are just out. You are gone. Time was of the essence in this situation. You remember that the Magi had been told that they were to return to King Herod. Now, remember that Jerusalem is only five miles away. It's just a couple hours. The king is waiting for the Magi to return and let them uh, know. And so when they don't return the next day, uh, now we see that uh, Herod is uh, upset. And, and so we are going to see that once again, Joseph is a, a man of action. When God directs, he, uh, he obeys. And, uh, and so we see that uh, that they are going to he is told that they are Herod is going to seek the young child to destroy him and it says in verse 14 and when he arose 
He took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt. And so we see that Joseph doesn't waste any time. He, he has the dream. He rouses everybody. We are out. We are gone. Egypt is about 75 miles away. And so, long journey for a newborn or a new babe, or, or if he is a year or two, he's young. At this time, we know that he is young than two years uh, old and uh, and so we don't know more than that uh, but uh, immediately we see that Mary and Joseph they escape Bethlehem under the cover of darkness uh, and uh, they depart in verse 15 Matthew tells us the significance of the event he says, and was there until the death of Herod that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, out of Egypt uh, I called my son. This we see is uh, from the prophet uh, Hosea. Uh, and it's interesting that uh, the Messiah would come uh, out of Egypt. That was another one of the, uh, the prophecies in the portrait uh, of uh, in Christ. And so uh, we see here that there was no record in Jesus' earthly ministry that he ever went to Egypt. But this is how God fulfilled uh, that prophecy by now have you using the persecution of Herod to come and to bring him to Egypt. Now, Mary and Joseph, they were in meager economic status at the time. We know this because when Mary and Joseph brought Jesus to the temple in order to have him circumcised and named, and then also Mary was to uh, offer her sacrifice for her impurity, we see that the custom was to offer a lamb. But if you could not afford a lamb, if you were in, in, in financial distress, then you could offer two turtle doves. That was the, the substitute. The scriptures tell us that Mary and Joseph uh, offered, that Mary offered the two turtle doves. And, and so this would show the economic condition of them as a young couple. But God needs to move them to Egypt to keep them safe there for a season. And so what does he do? He brings them gold, frankincense, and myrrh by the wise men to be able to now afford traveling to Egypt and, and spending time there until Herod now passes away. It is just another one of the ways in which we see that where God guides, God provides. They did didn't have the resources to depart, but when it was time to depart, the resources are suddenly brought to them and offered up to them so that now they were able to go and to keep Jesus safe in Egypt. At the same time, fulfill the prophecy of Hosea. And we see the incredible portrait of Christ emerging even in those early years, the fulfillments of these prophecies that are all a part uh, of that portrait. It says in verse 16, then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry, and he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in all its districts 
from two years old and under according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. We see here the incredible, terrible acts of, uh, of uh, Herod recorded uh, uh, here. We see that uh, that, uh, that he sees Jesus as a, uh, a potential rival to his throne, and, and so the spilling of some innocent blood in order to uh, secure his throne. We see that Nebuchadnezzar had uh, no problem with that, no issue uh, whatsoever. It says, then was fulfilled with what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, a voice was heard in Ramah, Lamentation, weeping, and great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. We see that the events surrounding this in Scripture, this comes from Jeremiah. And you'll remember when the Babylonians came in and destroyed Jerusalem, and then they took back some captives, the rest of the captives that would go back, and they slaughtered others. They slaughtered the king and the royal family and all. And we see that all of this took place in Ramah. Nebuchadnezzar had set up his base camp in Ramah, uh, and so they brought them to Ramah, and this is where Rachel is weeping uh, over the, uh, the death of the children as they were destroyed, wiped out uh, by the uh, Babylonians, and, and all. Rachel was considered to be the mother of the nation of Israel. You remember that Jacob had two wives, uh, Rachel and Leah. Remember how Laban tricked him? He loved Rachel, but he ends up... Uh, uh, marrying now Leah, and then uh, he is also given Rachel. Rachel was Jacob's heart, and so and she was considered to be the uh, the mother of the nation. Rachel weeping over uh, her children. Here we see that there is the fulfillment again of all of these distraught mothers weeping over the destruction of their sons uh, uh, by Herod. And so, verse nineteen it says, "Now when Herod was dead." Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the young child's life are dead. And then he arose and took the young child and his mother and, and came into the land. Herod uh, dies. And the angel comes and lets him know that it is safe to return back to the, uh, the land. Just to, again, show you the character of uh, King Herod, they call him Herod the, uh, the Great. But uh, the, uh, the character of, of Herod was anything but great. He knew that the, that the people didn't care for him whatsoever, and he was on his deathbed. And he knew that, uh, that when he died that no one would be mourning over his departure and over his death. So what he does is he invites all of the, the nobles, the aristocracy, to, to come to him there at the, uh, at the palace. And, and they came, and when they came, he arrested all of them, and he put them into the hippodrome. He held them and, uh, and had guards uh, there. And he gave the order that upon his death, they were to execute all the nobles so that there would be weeping and mourning in the land, even if it wasn't for him personally. And so he took comfort in that. 
he passes, but the order was never given to execute those nobles, and so the, uh, the nobles were released upon uh, his death. They return back to Israel, and, uh, and they now hear that Herod's uh, son is ruling in his place, uh, uh, Archelaus. And uh, Archelaus was also uh, wicked and, uh, and so a violent uh, man as well. Verse 22, but when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea instead of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned by God in a dream, he turned aside into the region of Galilee. So uh, once again, we see another dream, God using dreams to guide Joseph uh, here. And he is warned and he turns aside back to the region of Galilee. And he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets. He shall be called a, a Nazarene. And so now we see that they end up returning back to Nazareth again. And, and Nazareth there in Galilee is going to be the boyhood uh, home where Jesus is going to uh, grow up. And, and once again, we see that, that in fulfillment of the scriptures that he shall be called a, a Nazarene. As we close our study here, I wanted to draw our attention to where Matthew says that it was in Bethlehem of Judea where Jesus was born. A tiny village, town, small city that sits on top of a, a, a ridge, the, uh, the city itself today. And it sits about 2,000 feet above uh, sea level. It is a, 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 a steep ridge where Bethlehem sits. You can go today and visit there. Bethlehem is, uh, has tremendous history to it. Not just being the place where Jesus was born, but Jacob buried his wife, Rachel. In Bethlehem. Rachel's tomb is there in Bethlehem. We see that Bethlehem also is the place where Ruth met Boaz. You'll remember Ruth was the Moabite that followed her mother Naomi back to Israel. And, and so it was there in Bethlehem in those fields where Boaz and, and Ruth met. But Bethlehem also in the fields and the flocks around, in and around Bethlehem, that, those are the same hills where this young, rudy-looking boy named David, a shepherd boy, receives a visit from Samuel the prophet. You'll remember that Saul was the king, and Samuel comes to the house of Jesse to anoint the next king over the nation of Israel. He, he tells Jesse to bring his sons out, and the Lord was going to show him which son of his was going to be the next king. Samuel didn't know, but there was the oldest, and he was tall, and he looked kingly, and Samuel says, surely this is the next king, and the Lord says, no, not him. This one, this, this looks at, no, not him. This one, no, no, no. Down to the last one, no. 
Jesse, are these all of your sons? These are all of my sons, except for the little one out shepherding the flock right now. Go, go get him and in trots and David and the Lord says him. And he anoints him there in Bethlehem as the next king over the nation of Israel. Bethlehem was the house of the city of David. Is Bethlehem place where he was born and it was the place where God chose to have his son born Bethlehem is interesting because the name itself is a compound word in Hebrew Beth house Lachem is bread it's the house of of bread and we see that this is where God chose by prophecy to have his son born in Bethlehem. House of Bread, it's interesting to me that that would be the very name. I think it's significant because Jesus ultimately would say that I am the bread of life and he who partakes of me in him will have everlasting life. He says that I am the bread that came down from heaven. We see that that's a typology of manna. You remember manna? Remember in the wilderness? Remember that God brings them out of Egypt into the desert? There's no food out in the desert. And yet we see that God every single day would, uh, would take and, and lay out on the ground manna. The, 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 this bread that... that materialized like the dew as the dew of the night and settles uh, upon there's no it's not raining it's not but yet there is the the dew that wetens the grass that just it just falls from uh, from the sky well they would come out in the morning every morning and there would be the bread that had descended from heaven for them to now collect and they would collect the bread and and they would partake and it would sustain them and every single day you couldn't hold it overnight it would go bad the only time that there was a natural preservative that god put in one day a week that it would hold over for the the sabbath so that they could collect it too and not have to go out and work on the uh, the sabbath I believe that the manna was gluten-free uh, and it was a, a good diet for everybody and they, they would eat uh, from it and it would uh, nourish them. Jesus said, I, I am the bread of life. Jesus, you'll remember when Satan tempts him after 40 days, he's in the wilderness and and you'll remember that, uh, that Satan tells him, you're hungry, look at these rocks. You can turn them into bread and you can eat them. And, and you remember that Jesus says to a man does not live, what? By bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You see, Jesus is that bread that descended from heaven that we can partake of him. And, and Jesus is the living word. He is the word. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and he was in the beginning with him. And all things that were created were created through him. And apart from him, nothing that is was created. You see that the substance of, of life 
is the word of God. It is the bread that we have. It is the manna. It is the, the word that came down from heaven. No wonder Jesus was born in the house uh, of bread in Bethlehem. There could not be a better name for the place where Jesus was born. But just in the same way that that the Israelites needed to go and to partake of that manna on a daily basis uh, for their physical life, so also do we need to partake of the spiritual manna in order to, to keep us spiritually healthy, spiritually strong. And, and it's something that we need to do on a daily basis. You know, it didn't matter how much manna they had collected the day before they had to go and they had to, uh, to get the fresh manna and to partake uh, of it. It doesn't matter how much scripture you read yesterday, the day before, a week or a month ago. Yeah, the Bible, I know, I read it. I sat down and read it in a week. Haven't opened it since. I know what it says. <laughs> no, it doesn't matter how much you ingested before. It is about the ongoing, life-giving essence of the word of God that nourishes and, and feeds your soul. I want to encourage you every single day, open up the word of God. Partake of the spiritual food that God has set before you that we might continue to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It is the place that he will reveal himself to you. You will find him as you seek him. Your soul will be thick and rich and satisfied as you partake of the manna, the bread of life that has come down from heaven on a daily basis. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. And God, we ask that you would just continue to create a, a hunger for your word that we might delight, that it would be sweeter than honey on the honeycomb to us. And God, that you would continue to draw near to us as we seek your face in the scriptures. It's in Jesus' holy and precious name we pray. Amen.